and welcome to Teen People, the podcast that catches up with folks from Teen People magazine. I'm Anna Soper. This is the second of a two-part episode featuring Zena Burns. Zena got a job at Teen People in 1999 and stayed there until the magazine came to an end in 2006. She was heartbroken when the magazine folded, as she'd not only landed her dream job before the age of 25, hashtag goals, she made lifelong friends there. Our full episode covers her journey to Teen People, her best celebrity encounters, and her thoughts on how Teen People challenged and expanded the teen magazine genre. Find our conversation in episode 10. In this episode, Zena and I browse through some of my collection of Teen People magazines, covering an era from 1998 to 2002. I've posted all of the images on my Twitter and Instagram at TeenPeoplePod. Find them there and follow along. In order, we have Lauren Hill, Aaliyah and Mark McGrath, Christina Aguilera, Mandy Moore and Josh Hartnett, Carson Daly, Blink182, Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen, and Eminem. I also showed Zena an ad for Rockaware featuring a Teen People contest winner, and let me tell you, Zena was in stitches over this photo. Stay tuned for that and more. Do you have any of your teen peoples left from that time? It's so funny you mentioned that because I um, I am in the process of moving. It has been a very long and arduous move, but just the other day I found two cases of teen peoples and they made me so, so happy. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I have a few here. Excellent. Yeah. I'm excited to see this. So I had... Um, I had a subscription in my early teens. When I bought my house a couple of years ago, I uh, found this box of magazines and I found about a dozen teen peoples left from 1998 to 2002. So I have some early ones. This is April, 1999. Oh yes, Lauren Hill. That, I'll tell you something. That was, that came out, right before I started working there. And I remember I was living in Chicago at the time and I had an interview booked at teen people and I was getting ready to get on a plane the next day. And I was walking by a newsstand and the newsstand all, it was, it was like, it wasn't a standalone newsstand. It was like a shop that was a newsstand. And they had a whole wall of that teen people, Lauren Hill cover. And it took my breath away, not just because it's a beautiful cover, but seeing a black woman on the cover of a teen mainstream teen magazine was really moving for me. And I said, I have to get that job. I have to get that job. I have to work there. Why was that moving for you? It was moving for me one, because visually I think that cover is stunning. And also because I assumed that it was somewhat of a risk for a mainstream teen magazine to put a black woman on the cover. Not that it should have been more people should have been doing that, but it was visually stunning. But I also, I also felt that um, it was in terms of putting a black woman on the cover. It's something that needed to happen a long time ago and they were doing it. So I started working there in May or June, 1999. And at that point they'd already put Lauren Hill on the cover and they'd already put Puff Daddy on the cover. In all the meetings that I was ever in, I don't recall a I don't recall a discussion of race being a negative factor ever. And I know that's the case. I can't remember who was it Zendaya I just read saying that saying that there was some teen magazine that told her that she didn't get the cover because 
because she was a woman of color, which was insane to me, insane to me on so many levels. Um, but really it just, it, it just came down to who we thought was the best fit for the cover and who was going to sell and who who's going to sell magazines. And much like what we've been talking about, it's team people just tried to be clear eyed about what its audience, who their audience was and what their audience wanted versus some antiquated idea about, no, we can't put a black woman on the cover because whatever, hell yes, you can put a black woman on the cover. And if you'd been around five years ago, you should have done it then. This was something that Karen Lovis told me because she was interning at Teen People in 1998. And she said that, uh, around that time there was Usher on the cover and oh yeah it sold it sold extremely well well that's the that's the funny thing you know it's you know as I said our our discussions were always about what I I don't think it's tacky to say like who's going to sell the most copies right and I, I think there were a lot of publications that built in an automatic okay well if this person doesn't fit the profile like we're just kind of like ding them on our scale because we're going to assume that they're not going to resonate with their audience. Maybe in the past they'd taken a chance with a similar type of celebrity that didn't sell, but who knows why that celebrity didn't sell. It could have been because they're not interesting. It's could have been because their project tank. It's not necessarily because of the color of their skin. So, um, yeah, it was really about who was going to sell and not building in like that penalty for being a person of color. Mm-hmm. And these were big stars like Lauren Hill and, and Usher were huge. Absolutely. At that time. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. Mark McGrath and Aaliyah. Mark McGrath and Aaliyah. That's and sexy wow. list. So this is the sexy list. This is October 2001. Yes. Wow, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. That was a tough one. Uh, Well, the funny thing is that Mark McGrath had very specific specifications for how wide the, um, what do you call them, the straps on his tank top needed to be. I remember that. (laughs) He needed like a certain width on his tank top straps. How strange. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, he likes what he likes. Uh, so Aaliyah passed right before that cover came out. Aaliyah passed right before that cover came out. Um, we, and we had just prior to the cover cover coming out, we'd done a contest on teampeople.com where you could win a trip to the set of the rock the boat video for her to give you a dance lesson and the, the winner couldn't make it or something like that. So it didn't actually happen. But then leaving that set is, is when she very, very tragically passed in a plane crash. Um, it's, it's moving because I remember it was maybe two weeks before the issue was scheduled to come out. And I was visiting my mom in Detroit. And... My, I, I'm a late sleeper when I don't need to be awake early. And I remember my mom coming into the room where I was sleeping and saying, yeah, I just saw on CNN, like Aliyah or something. She died in a plane crash. And I just, I, I'm not good in the morning, but I just, I sat straight up in bed. I sat straight up in bed and I, I started, I, I just, I just started hyperventilating. I was like, mom, mom, are you sure? Are you sure? 
And she's like, well, it said a lot. So I was like, whatever. And I just went downstairs and I was watching the coverage and, oh my gosh, it was like a punch in the gut. Nobody, nobody who worked with Aaliyah thought she was anything other than tremendously talented, ahead of her time, complete sweetheart, total pro. And for, for her to be gone so early, so inexplicably was, it it would have boggled the mind at any point, but we had her on the cover of the issue that was coming out in a week or two anyway. So I was supposed to be in Detroit for a few other day for a few more days, but I just, I don't even think I packed my stuff. I asked my mom to send my stuff back to me and I just went straight to the airport and went back to New York, went straight to the office. I remember uh, Amy Galeazzi, our publicist came into the office, I think that day as well. And we just tried along with some other people and we just tried to strategize a, a plan for, Hey, we have this issue coming out. How do we make this, you know, a tribute and not, and not feel more of a tribute and not feel, um, you know, like we were trying to take advantage of something, you know, that, that issue was, was scheduled to come out, you know, lead times for these things are incredibly long. Um, but, oh, that was tough. Oh, that was tough. I still feel so much for her family. And then a week later, 9-11 happened. (laughs) That was a weird time. That was a weird time. Um, I'm just looking for, okay, so here's Barbara O'Dare's, uh, editor's letter. She may have written it prior to, she may not have had the opportunity to amend her, her letter based on the ship dates. I thought I saw it addressed somewhere, but, um, but it's not in here. So it was obviously too late by that point. I also have, this is December 99. January <laughs> Christina. <laughs> oh, Christina, Christina, Christina. That was, I, I do, I do remember that cover. I love that background, that pressed metal background. Yeah. It's that Y2K aesthetic. Everything was silver back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Christina Aguilera. She, um, you know, I think she was young at the time. I think she she definitely, you know, all of these, all all of these artists, they they were all young at the time. God willing, they all grew grew into full grown adults. She was a little bit difficult to work with at that point in her career, but she did photograph beautifully. Mandy, oh my god, that's my <laughs> love me some Mandy Moore. Love me some anymore, and I love this cover. If if you can, if if anyone listening can see in their mind's eye, it's Mandy with the headshot and the pink and the shortcut, and then Josh Hartnett in the mesh shirt on the flip cover. <laughs> Mandy Moore was the best. Let me let me tell you, I went to. I don't I don't remember how old she was, but in '99, it was prior to this cover. In '99, she was brand new. I don't even think her album was out or anything. And I flew to Minneapolis to her record label wanted me to see her open for the Backstreet Boys, right? She had just gotten on the Backstreet Boys tour. So I go to Minneapolis, I meet Mandy, and then we go to go back to her hotel, but she was booked on the tour so late that she couldn't get a hotel room in downtown Minneapolis near the (laughs) venue. So she was at some Hampton Inn or something way out in the boonies. And on the way back there, we stopped in McDonald's to get a bike to eat. And I, I just 
remember hand, she got a mixed salad shaker, which at the time they would, they would serve you salads in like a soda cup so that you could put your dressing on and then shake it up and there's your salad. It was kind of ingenious, Hmm. but I remember handing her a job application for McDonald's just because we were kind of goofing around and I'm like, you will never need this, but in case it doesn't work out. (laughs) And then lo and behold, she, she, she has done unbelievably amazing things. And she has always been one of my favorite people to, to talk with. She was always complete joy to work with and I couldn't be happier for her. I wonder if she still has that job application like framed somewhere. Something tells me no. (laughs) (laughs) Something tells me no. That later, later that night, I became an even bigger fan of hers because we're walking up to this, you know, it was like a Hampton Inn or a courtyard by Marriott or something. And it was in the suburbs and there were a bunch of older, but like college age guys who were having a house room party or something like that. And we were kind of standing in the courtyard out front and they start cat calling her. She's maybe 14, 15. I don't remember how old, but these college kids start kind of saying filthy things out the window to her. And before, and I go to, give them peace of my mind. But before I could even do that, like she gave them a piece of her mind <laughs> and was, she said something like, do you know what you're saying to a 15 year old or something like that? However old she was. And I was like, she does not need me to take care of her. <laughs> she, she can stand on her own two feet. I would be willing to, you know, throw some bows on these, with these idiots, but she had it under control. She did not. Wow. Good for her. Well done. Good for her indeed. Um, there's an ad here in this in the same issue. Oh my god. <laughs> how could you have known? How could you have how could you have I didn't mention this to you? How could you have selected this? <laughs> okay, what I'm seeing now, what I'm being shown now is an ad for Rockaware with Memphis Bleak. And a beautiful young woman, I can't quite see her name, she's from New Orleans, Ariane, Ariane, yes, Ariane D from New Orleans, um, so who was a contest winner, a contest winner. We had a, um, we ran a, co- a model search contest with Rockaware, which was, uh, at the time it was Jay-Z's uh, clothing label, and you could send in your photo for consideration to be in a Rockaware ad with a Rockefeller artist. We got a lot of submissions for that. I'll never forget. There was like one woman standing on a country road wearing all camo, holding a gun. Oh like it was, We got some very, very interesting submissions for this contest. And this wonderful young woman, Ariane, who I think was from uh, Louisiana, New Orleans, I think she was New Orleans. somewhere in the South. I think it was New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and she won and we flew her up to New York. I think we did, we did the shoot at not milk studios, um, but someplace, uh, someplace in Chelsea. And she was, she was so excited and everything. And Memphis Bleak and his team offered to uh, take her and her people out to dinner that night. I think she was with an older sister or parent or something. And and they they were talking amongst themselves about it. And when I was packing up to go, I was like, oh, so where are are you and Bleak going tonight? And she goes, we're going to the Olive Garden. And that was... (laughs) 
that was the, it was, she was so excited about going to the Olive Garden in New York City. And I just, I thought that was, that's, that's why I laugh so hard is because I, one, I have not seen that ad in forever. And two, I just remember Memphis Bleak taking her to the Olive Garden. Yeah. I just wow. love that so much. That's hilarious. <laughs> Who else do I have? Carson Daly. He's a nice guy. I think that cover was around the same time that he was dating Tara Reed. April 2001. Might have been. There was, some, I remember yep, running right. into them at some, at, at some arcade that was just opening, some like blingy arcade that was just opening in, in Times Square. And uh-huh. you, we all got unlimited tokens and unlimited booze. And we had a lot of fun that night. Um, yeah, no, Carson, he, um, TRL was huge at the time. He tested very well and he was always fun to work with. But I, what I do remember, she didn't, I talked with her at some point because for some reason she got the dot com information first, but his mother called after the, after the, uh, I don't think she's with us anymore. She's a very sweet lady. His mother called and at the time, I think I was working primarily on digital, but I think she spoke to the entertainment director at the time on print as well and just called to thank us for covering her son. So she was a very, very sweet woman. <laughs> That's adorable. Well, it does say Tara Reed gives us exclusive wedding details. Oh, boy. Yeah. hi <laughs> Here's Blink-182. Oh! <laughs> Blink-182, The Rock Issue. I love that so hard. I think my sister from another Mr. Carolyn Schultz did that cover story. I could be wrong, but she she was the chief Blink-182 advocate on staff. <laughs> she Carol was the one who came up to me on my first day in the kitchen and said, and said, do you like warp to her? You look like you like warp to her. But yes, it was a little bit, it was a little bit of a risk to put Blink-182 on the cover. But if memory serves, that cover did pretty well. Um, Again, we wanted to, I mean, we all remember the All the Small Things video where they, you know, the takeoff on the boy band things. They just, they felt like a natural, a natural fit for teen people. Like your Britney's and your Backstreet's and your InSync's. Yeah, that was easy. But the former head of Jive Records said that we, we, we kind of drove their growth just as much as they drove our growth. But there were a lot of other chances that we took. I mean, for a while there, we did a we did a monthly little small section on like mixtapes, like like not the mixtapes you make your friends, but like mixtape culture. It was interesting. I used to have a monthly again. It wasn't even a full page, but a monthly column with Pharrell, where it was just kind of like, "What's on Pharrell's mind?" And I would call Pharrell, and he would just kind of. <laughs> talk about what's on his mind and be like okay there's a column you know like that wasn't happening elsewhere so this story is called rock report it is written by carolyn schultz Kara. and we have monsters of rock including creed sugar ray rage against the machine <laughs> the offspring limp biscuit and corn they're all here there we have it. I once got drunk and threw cocktail peanuts at Scott Stapp at the bar at the Sunset Marquee uh, with Marilyn Manson after a teen people party. Ooh, Those wow. are just the things that would happen back in the day. <laughs> Sorry, Scott Stapp. That was dickish of me. The heady days of publishing. Yeah. Oh, money used to grow on trees. That doesn't happen anymore. Oh, Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen. Yes. That Star Wars was... So everyone was so excited for that first Star Wars. Again, if you're younger, you might not know what a big deal it was for the new Star Wars to come mm-hmm. out. 
Yeah. You know, because it was just the 70s and early 80s things. And yeah, so this cover was Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen. And we were just all so excited about the new Star Wars. It's a pretty cover. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And um, I was super excited for that trilogy as well. And I have followed this new trilogy because I love Star Wars. Um, So to get this in my mailbox, I must have been thrilled. Oh, I love that. I I love to hear that. That's all that's all we really, you know, wanted was just to create some excitement and have something special when it did land in your mailbox or when you did see it at a supermarket checkout or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. just to, to be able to incite some type of excitement, like positive excitement in a kid was the best thing you could ever ask for. Yeah. I love that cover. (laughs) Even Hayden Christensen, even looking cute there as well. Oh, I love it. Super. That is a great select. Mm-hmm. And this is actually part of the 25 hottest stars under 25. Well, that was always our, like one of our biggest things That's all year, thing. 25 hottest stars under 25. Yeah. Um, you know, we did have an artist who we photographed for 25 under 25. And then we had to get rid of those photographs and take them out of 25 under 25 because our fact checkers found that he was over 25. Too old. Will not name names. You know who you are. It's, uh, you know, considering that I'm now in my almost mid thirties and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to be aware of Gen Z, like they're coming up now. And, um, to think of how young a 25 year old is, imagine being excluded from 25 under 25 because you're like 27 or something. (laughs) I mean, it's true. And that feature used to be 21 hardest stars under 21. Mm. It's, you know, I mean, this is a broader thing than magazine publishing, but it's always so funny to me how kids are getting older, younger, you know, with access Mm. to technology and things like that. But at the same time, I think a lot about the life expectancy, Uh, you know, like the first person to live to be 150 has already been born. And I oftentimes think about life expectancy as it relates to the future of work in retirement as it relates to relationships like was the construct of marriage created when you didn't live to be 80 or 90 years old and you know like this concept of being together for life was that a construct created when people did not live as long so it's always funny to me how all right kids quote-unquote kids are getting older or more mature, more sophisticated, younger, but at the same time, everybody's living longer. Mm. And what does that mean for the long term? Mm. When you're maturing earlier, but you're living longer, I think there are going to be some very interesting ramifications over the next few decades. So this one's Eminem. Eminem heats up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Taking me back. It says, watch your back, Josh Hartnett. Rap's notorious bad boy is about to turn into Hollywood's newest heartthrob. Watch your back, Josh Hartnett. Watch your back, Josh Hartnett. Memorable cover. I worked on that story. My first Teen People cover that I wrote, I think, was Nelly. And he kept me waiting by the phone for 40 hours over Labor Day weekend. (laughs) And his team kept saying it's because he was closing on a house. I'm like, I don't know, I've, co- I've closed on a couple houses at this point in my life. Like, I never had to keep a reporter waiting for 40 hours to <laughs> do an interview for a teen magazine. I 
I was laughing because it actually took me 40 hours to close on my house, so maybe Nellie had a similarly complex real estate situation. We just don't know. My thanks to Zena Burns for her time and her memories. If you haven't heard our full conversation, have a listen wherever you find your podcasts. My next guest is Lucas Pierman. Lucas was part of Teen People's news team, a core of young journalists who worked collaboratively with Teen People's staff to bring local stories from across America into the pages of Teen People magazine. I spoke with Lucas just two days before the U.S. election, so we'll hear his thoughts on journalism and democracy. He also shared his memories of a meaningful interview with one of Teen People's teens who will change the world. In the meantime, stay safe and thanks for listening.